your Bible and find chapter 6 of Acts. Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6. My grandchildren are waving at me, so I'm waving back at them. That's what I'm doing here. So. It's always good to have a shout out from the grandkids to Papa. Acts chapter 6, verse 1. You know, we continue to talk about uh, the disciples and how they live with fortitude. Those four things that we think are important because Jesus thought they were important. To love God, love yourself, love others, and love creation. Four things. And we we find here this story. And so chapter 6, verse 1, it says, In those days when the number of the disciples was increasing, the Grecian Jews... Among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. (coughs) So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom, and we will turn this responsibility over to them. And we'll give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. So the proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. And they presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. And so the word of God spread. The number of the disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. And a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. So uh, the the problem in Acts chapter 6 that we discover is the the widows in that day, they needed food. And so they didn't work. They didn't have jobs. It wasn't like it was today. If you're a widow woman, there really wasn't anything you could do. You couldn't go out on the boat and fish. You couldn't plow the field and plant corn. And so... Uh, the way you survived, a lot of them, was to uh, line up in a soup line, if you will. And apparently, they had worked out a formula for uh, the widows to be fed. But apparently, the Grecian formula wasn't working well. And so there were some complaints. Some of you aren't old enough to catch that. Five of you are, Marcella, you would never understand. It's okay. It's a commercial. Some of us chose to ignore it. I worked really hard on that. I want y'all to know that. Oh, that's good, Jerry. That's real good. Thank you, thank you. Thank you very much. That was really good, by the way. Appreciate that. Okay, so that didn't work, so I'm not going to use any more this, this morning. I have, I have seven lined up, but we're not going to use any more jokes. So. so when I get to chapter 6, I see that we have this problem that the, the widows were not being taken care of like they were in another chapter. So look at this right quick. Like Turn back to chapter 2, chapter 2, and verse 42. <clears throat> chapter 2, verse It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. 
all the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone who had need. And every day they continued to meet together in temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now, go to chapter 4, verse 32. Look at this. Chapter 4, verse 32. And it said, All the believers were uh, one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. And with great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And much grace was upon them all. And there were no needy persons among them. From time to time, those who owned lands or houses sold them. They brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, he sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. And check out chapter 5, verse 12. The apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders, 512, among the people. And all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colony. No one dared join them, even though... They were highly regarded. Nevertheless, more and more the men and women believed in the Lord and were added to the number. As a result, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow could fall on some of them as they passed by. Crowds gathered also from towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those tormented by evil spirits, and a few of them were healed. What does it say? All of them were healed. Thank you. And then chapter 5, same chapter. Verse 39 says uh, they had been brought in and they were being tried. And Gamaliel spoke up. He said, if this is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. His speech persuaded them. They called the apostles in, had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. The apostles let the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering the disgrace for the name of Jesus. And day after day in temple courts, from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is Christ. So we had this marvelous picture of everybody's being taken care of and people looking after one another and, and God's doing great miracles. And the disciples were even brought into the Sanhedrin. That was the ruling Jewish body of the day. And, and they flogged them. They beat them on the back with, with a whip. They flogged them and said, stop talking about Jesus. Stop talking about Jesus. But they went out and continued to talk about Jesus and people kept being converted and miraculous signs were done. And then we get to chapter 6. Now, we don't know the gap in time from chapter 5 to chapter 6. Maybe a year, maybe two years. We don't really know. But something changed from chapter 5, 2, 3, 4, and 5 to chapter 6. Here in chapter 6, we find widow women in a soup line. They're lined up in a soup line. Chapter 2, 3, and 4, and 5, they were being invited into someone's house to have a meal. You see the difference? They were being invited in. Come sit down with me. They met house to house. They ate bread together. They praised the Lord together. They did all those things together. But in chapter 6, something has changed. Now, I wonder what changed. I wonder what happened. I've got some ideas, of course. And so here's, I've got four things. I think that, that one of the first shifts that we see from chapter 5 to chapter 6 is that the early believers went from a marketplace ministry to a man-made ministry. They went from a marketplace ministry to a man-made ministry. Now, 
Let me clue you in on something that maybe you've never been taught before. Wherever you are is your ministry setting. Wherever God has placed you is your ministry setting. If you are at the school over at Laverne Lake, and some of you are working there, that's, that's your ministry. That's your church. That's your mission field. I could use a lot of different words here. But you are, you are a pastor. You are a minister. You are a missionary in that field, wherever you are. We've been taught for years, for centuries, that ministry takes place inside the four walls here. That's not true. That, that's not true. It does take place here. That's not the only place it, it takes place. You're at work, some of you, 40, 50, some of you, 60 hours a week. You work crazy hours, right? And, and some of you have really crazy jobs. Like if you're a teacher, that's a really crazy job, right? It's a lot of things that go into being a teacher. It's preparing to teach. It's teaching. It's dealing with students who, who maybe didn't sleep at all last night. Maybe they haven't had anything to eat in, in a day or two days. Who knows what they saw the night before with their parents or partners whatever the situation is, and you walk into that, that's crazy. You don't know what you're dealing with on any given day, and it's different every day. Right? So we all have these, these environments that we work in, right? We're all in crazy different things that, that takes place. But here's the thing. You carry the presence of God with you. The very essence of who God is is within you, and you are a minister in that marketplace. What man has done throughout 2,000 years of Christianity is try to organize it, right? And say, it only happens in this box and it can only happen because a preacher has been ordained and been to seminary at least three times, right? Right? right. That's, that's what we think. That's what the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6, God has made you competent, Nancy. God has made you competent as a minister of Jesus Christ. Daniel, he's made you competent as a minister of Jesus Christ. You sell cars. Apparently really good. Y'all got a Ruthie Award thing going over there. Good job. How many people do you meet on, a, on any given day that need Jesus? A lot. Yeah. That just need an encouraging word? A whole lot. You and I have talked about that a little bit. That's your, that's your church. Man, you're the pastor there, right? You are the pastor there. And I, th I think what happened was the, the apostles started trying to organize the church, started trying to make a man-made ministry instead of a marketplace ministry. Now, we men tend to like to organize things, not necessarily our, our, our sock drawer or, you know, our clothes or, our household. Well, we like to organize things. We want things to be in a row. And the disciples were trying to organize Jesus' movement. Watch this. They were trying to organize it based on Jewish structure, a man-made Jewish structure. So why did they appoint seven people? Do you know why they appointed seven people? You've all done your study, right? Well, in Jewish worship, in the synagogue, that's the place where they came to, to study, kind of like a seminary. In synagogue, they, came, they had seven leaders within that structure. Each one of them had a different role. And so they picked out seven people because in the Jewish structure, there were seven people. So they said, well, they got seven people. 
we need to organize and have seven people heading up the soup line for the widow women. They, they took a man-made religion component here and placed it over here. I don't think that's what Jesus had in mind. Because Acts chapter 2, 3, 4, and 5, we see this marketplace ministry. Where wherever somebody was, if it was a cul-de-sac, you get to know your neighbors in the cul-de-sac. I love the ministry that Daniel and Angela and my grandchildren have in their cul-de-sac. They know all the people in the cul-de-sac. They take them cookies. They cut their grass. They check on them when they don't see them from time to time. When they do see them, they stand around and talk. They pray for them. That's their marketplace is their cul-de-sac. Your cul-de-sac is a marketplace too, wherever it may be. Jesus, I think his plan for Christianity was just to be marketplace. As you go, where you're going, in your job, take care of those people. Come together on Sunday, Saturday or Tuesday night, whenever it is, to encourage one another. That's why we're here is to encourage one another. So I think one of the shifts that took place, the disciples weren't doing this in a mean way. They weren't trying to hurt. That's all they knew. All they knew was let's organize this thing. We've got to organize this thing. We've got to have seven because the Jewish people had seven. We've got to have this because they had that. And Jesus was saying, no, just, just go about your day and minister as you go. The second thing I, I see here is it was from people-led ministry to a pastor-led ministry. It went from people-led to pastor-led. Let me ask you a question. If you're in a boat, right, and it's taking on water, and there are 20 people in the boat, and you've got one cup to bail with, right, what would be better, one person bailing or all 20 people with a cup bailing water out? Which would be better? Anybody want to guess? 20. Just the one. <laughs> the rest of us want to watch the show, right? Right? Appreciate that back there on the back row. Be quiet. Yeah. <laughs> if you're building a building, is it better for one person to build a building or 20? This is simple math. You get it, right? But we have created, a, we have created church. We've created ministry. We've created religion to say that one man... He needs to do it all. He needs to be pastor-led. But Jesus' model was people-led. The people led out in the ministry. The, the pastor's role was to, be the guide on the, not, it was to be the guide on the side over here, not the sage on the stage over there saying, hey, I can help you with that. Here, here, let me equip you with that. Let me show you how to do that. But the people were doing the ministry. What would happen if every Sunday... We had the communion elements here, and we had, we had one cup of juice, right, and we had one wafer, and that's all that was up here on every given Sunday, and what would happen if I stood up here and ate the wafer, right, and drank the juice, and then said, let me tell you what that tastes like. Let me tell you what that feels like. Oh, it's incredible. I can't believe I'm participating in, in the precious body of Christ. I, this is amazing. But y'all can't do it. How would you feel? 
How would you feel? Do you know if you go to the, the Vatican, St. Peter's Basilica today, on any given Sunday, and they're offering communion, there are seven steps you have to walk up on to get to the platform where the communion table is. And the communion table, maybe 12 or 15 feet long, ornate, gold-trimmed. The, the cup is probably made of pure gold. It's beautiful to look at. But do you know you can't walk up there? If any one of you were over there today, you would not be allowed to walk up those steps to even touch the communion elements. Only the Pope can do that. And he eats the bread and he drinks it and blesses everybody and tells them how wonderful it is. There's something wrong with it, don't you think? Don't you want to participate in this later on in the Lord's Supper? Don't you? Instead of just hearing about it? That's the ministry Jesus launched. People-led, not pastor-led. Third thing I see is it went from being organic to being organized. It went from being organic to being organized. Organic is, is a grapevine that just grows and grows and grows and grows everywhere. That's just the organic nature of, of a grapevine, to grow. Organized is when we line everybody up and Everybody has the exact same job or the exact same title, and, and we have a hierarchy. And that's why if you go to the Catholic Church, you've got the Pope and the Cardinals and the Bishops and so forth and so on down the line. And I don't see that in the first few chapters of Acts, 2, 3, 4, and 5. I see people just being people and organically going about their lives and doing ministry where they find themselves. They didn't have to go to the, the priest or the Pope or the pastor and say, Hey, can I, can I minister to somebody this week? Can I do this this week? Can, <clears throat> can you tell me, you know, where to go this week to do something? They just did it. They just did it. And as a result of it being more organized, it winds up being widow women in a soup line with their cup out every morning and every night waiting to get a handout. <clears throat> and the fourth thing, <clears throat> I see it going from personal responsibility to professional responsibility. I see it going from a personal responsibility to a professional responsibility. Paid performers, if you will. Pastors, paid performers. Financed by lay spectators. In other words, 11 men on the field playing football in desperate need of rest and 90,000 in stands in desperate need of exercise. Follow me? You know, the great American experiment was built on personal responsibility and freedom. When our founders started this country, they said, we want people to live in freedom, complete freedom. You know, we want that. But it will require personal responsibility. And when people give up personal responsibility... And outsource it to professional responsibility, you're going to have problems. You're going to have problems in any society when people don't take personal responsibility for what they are supposed to do, required to do, can do, should do. I think Jesus started a movement that was based on personal responsibility where every Christian said, I've got to tell somebody about Jesus. I just got to do it. There's nobody else to do it. 
And eventually it evolved till we get to chapter 6, where we see the disciples saying, look, we're going we're gonna to sit around and study and pray, and, and uh, we're going to appoint seven people to do the ministry. And look what the Bible says. It says, and all the people thought it was a good idea. Of course they thought it was a good idea because it took the responsibility off of them to do anything. It pleased the people to not have to do anything anymore. Because they'd been helping in the process. They'd been helping with the widows. They'd been taking care of them in house to house to house. And they're like, praise God, I ain't got to deal with that woman another minute. Driving me crazy. And so they appointed seven men to take care of the widow women in a soup line. Make sure they got fed. Personal responsibility versus professional responsibility. The people were happy because they were off the hook from doing anything. The church today has outsourced its responsibility, I think, to paid professionals. And it's time for that to be reversed. It's time for all of us to bear personal responsibility. And I've seen countless times where a pastor will use this scripture and say, you see, congregation, I'm supposed to devote myself to prayer and the reading of the word. Y'all supposed to do some work. I think I'm supposed to do some work and devote myself to the reading of the word and prayer. And I think y'all are supposed to do some work and give yourself to the reading of the word and prayer. It's all our responsibility. Why is it my job to do all the reading and praying and tell you what it feels like and tastes like? And you not do the same. You'll never know what it tastes like until you taste it. You never know what it feels like until you eat it. And as a pastor, I'll never know what ministry is unless I get myself out there and do ministry in the marketplace. I can sit behind a desk all day long and tell y'all what to do. That's not biblical. That's not the Jesus model. The model was we're all in it together. My particular role happens to be to equip you with things that I think you need that will help you and others. That's where I'm different from what you guys do. But we're all doing the same thing. Prayer, reading the word, ministering in a marketplace. Does that make sense? So what would Jesus have done in this situation? I always go back to Jesus. Always go back to Jesus. What would Jesus have done? I think he would have done what he did when he hung on the cross in John chapter 19, verses 25 and 27. John chapter 19, that's just a few pages back to your left. <clears throat> Look what Jesus did. John chapter 19. Jesus is hanging on the cross. Okay, uh, Verse 25 says, Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved, John, standing nearby, he said to his mother, Dear woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, John, here is your mother. From that time on, the disciple took her into his home. I think if Jesus had been there in, in Acts chapter 6, he would have said, No, 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 no. We ain't doing food line anymore. Y'all y'all crazy. Let me tell you what we're going to do. He would say, Daniel, Bertha's your mama. 
You take her into your house. You take care of her until the day, day she dies, right? That's what it said to you. It said, Scott, Mary over there, that's, that's your mama. You're going to take her into your home. You're going to take care of her until the day she dies. He would have assigned them, just like he did on the cross. He wouldn't have made these women line up in the soup line begging for food every day. He would have assigned them homes and said, y'all take care of them to the day they die. That's what Jesus would have done. That's what Acts chapter 2, 3, 4, 5, and 6 is, t- five is telling us. They met in homes. And they took care of one another. So what's the point? The point is we've got a job to do. And we have the Holy Spirit living within us to help us do that job. And you may not feel that you're competent to minister to anybody, but I assure you, you are. And here's why I can assure you that I can guarantee it. It's because it's not you doing the ministry. It's not you doing the ministry. Jesus said, if you'll just open your mouth, I'll minister through you. Now, let me take the monkey off your back. This is not going around being a preacher. I'm not asking you to go around being a preacher in your workplace. I'm not saying that at all. Matter of fact, I hope you don't go around being a preacher in your workplace. That's the worst thing you can do. Just be a friend. Just enter into somebody's life, hear their story, listen to it. Don't condemn them. When they share some crazy stuff, don't condemn them. Just listen to their story. And then start praying for them in your heart and in your head for the next several days. And let the Holy Spirit tell you how you can best minister to them. Because he will. That's his guarantee. He will put the words in your mouth. Don't take a Bible around, pop them upside the head. It's not going to help. Just get to know them. Find out Nancy's name. This is Nancy, by the way. If y'all haven't met Nancy. Everybody say, hey, Nancy. Hey, Nancy. Just get to know Nancy. Tell me about your children. How old are they? What are they like? What are they not like? That's what Jesus wants us to do. That's marketplace ministry. It's that easy. Now, you don't have to get to know everybody in your workplace. You don't have time or energy. Life's too short. The Holy Spirit will tell you who to get, become friends with and who to minister to. So let me take that monkey off your back, too. You don't, you don't have to minister to everybody. You're not called to minister to everybody. Just the few people that God puts in your path that he tells you to connect with. It's real simple. So today, on the back table back there, we have ten different titles of books. And this one is called Stress. And does anybody know anybody that's got stress in their life? Anybody? Two, three, four, five, six hundred hands went up. Okay, great. Great. So you can buy one of these books, and we're not making money off them. The reason we're asking you to pay for them, and if you can't pay for them, that's fine. Don't. But if you can throw something in the plate for them, $5 a piece, and give them to somebody, it would help us to recoup our cost on that. The other stuff we give away free here, but... These are kind of expensive. But if you know somebody, look over the table, look at the titles, 10 different titles, and say, I'm going to be a minister in my marketplace, and I know somebody that could probably use this book and hand that book. The second thing you're going to see out at the foot of the cross in the entryway out there is this little brochure. It simply says, you belong here. It's got a few things on the inside, talking about marketplace ministry, right? And it's got our church name, and address and everything on the back, right? Just take this and give it to somebody. 
if you go to some place, leave it on the counter. Just get the word out that people belong here. We care about folks. That's an easy way to be a marketplace minister. Right there, just hand somebody something. Don't have to say a word. Just hand them something. Right? That's easy. You can do that, right? You can do it. See, she can do it. She's already saying she can do it. I trust you. Jesus Christ has made you competent as a minister of the gospel. Just go do it. Just go do it. It's that easy. Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you, Father, that you've already made us competent. You've already given us the words. You've already put people in our paths. You've taken care of all that. So, Father, we, we commit today to just open our mouth. That's all. Just simply open our mouth. And let you minister through us. Father, there's a lot of, a lot of hurting people in the world. A lot of hurt people in the world. And you have the answer for all of it in Jesus. So thank you, Jesus, for being our hope. Thank you for being our, our healing. Thank you for being our salvation. Thank you for being all that we need in this life. Now come Holy Spirit and give us the courage to be marketplace ministers just to be Jesus around people and maybe occasionally tell people about Jesus with our words. Just let us be Jesus. Come Holy Spirit, show us how to do that. This week, this week, may each one of us encounter someone that we can just simply be Jesus to in some way cut the grass or to pray with them to buy them some food to just sit and listen to their story come Holy Spirit show us how, teach us how, show us who show us when, show us where we already know the why it's because of the love of Christ now come have your way with us in this moment Holy Spirit just do whatever you want to do in our lives in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.